Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome, Hempsters. This is your Hemptrepreneurial host, Tyler Hemp. I'm also a hemp-thusiastic Hemptrepreneur. Um, here to empower your hemposphere because it's important. Today is entitled Hemp Disclosure, What You Need to Know About Hemp with Eric Steenstra. And I am working on getting him on the line not sure if I can do that, but get out your pen and papers, boys and girls. You might want to take some notes today. It's going to get rich with some good discussion. Let's see. You may be listening to a recorded version of this, but either way, thank you for your awareness and your time. Hemp Over Radio is dedicated to putting emphasis on what's most important to you. So I would like to ask, what is your dream? What is your purpose, your mission? What is it that you're, you're good at? No matter what it is that you do, we're here to encourage you to do one thing, hemp. And our goal is to assist you to succeed with hemp and ultimately overcome the challenges of our time in the different sectors of the hemp movement and in our lives and in our businesses. And it's also our aim to inspire you to continue pursuing your goals, your visions, your dreams with this life-giving plant. You're investing in yourself by listening to Hempower Radio, and I commend you for continuing your education and being humble enough to keep learning about this essential plant and the benefits, the value, and the uses that cannabis hemp can provide so that we can all start living prosperous, healthier, happier lives. And I'm also committed to creating a global paradigm-shifting consciousness with products and services that we provide with HempAware and our team uh, and that we create for you. And my prayer is that you feel inspired, educated, motivated, and uplifted to utilize hemp for your clothing, your food, your energy uses, your healing, and to give you a quick view of what I see in the future. Imagine a world where millions of people are living in healthy, hempy homes made of sustainable hemp-based and earthen materials that are humans and the environment. They're extremely efficient, long-lasting, and quite simple to work with. Now picture those same people building their own homes and living in these homes that are made out of hemp. And now picture these same people all wearing custom clothing made from hemp to make them look and feel their best. See these people working for companies they believe in purpose while working for these companies. These people are living with and working around people they love, materials and products they believe in, and know are made and distributed in harmony with nature. And this is just a glimpse of the world that I envision every single day. And I want to inspire you to do your personal best for yourself and the people around you and that you influence. One of those amazing people that I'm in a hemp home and probably will be sooner than we think, is a man by the name of Eric Steenstra. 
And I am so honored and privileged to have Eric on today's show. I first met Eric back in 2005 or maybe 2006 at a Hemp Industries Association uh, annual meeting in San Francisco. And I was just getting acquainted with the business side of hemp and was so thankful for bumping shoulders with people like Chris Conrad and Larry Serbin and Steve Levine, Rob Youngman, Candy Penn, and of course, Eric. Uh, when I met Eric for the first time and every time that I've seen him thereafter, I knew that this was the, you know, uh, he was the real deal. Uh, he, he does such a fabulous job of professionally representing this crucial move and the hemp plant itself. And Eric has played such an integral part uh, in the hemp movement, and, and he's actually part of several hemp organizations, such as Boat Hemp, Hemp Industries Association, Hemp History Week, and he was also the co-founder of the modern hemp pioneer company, Ecolution. And beyond that, Eric has been amazingly instrumental in educating statesmen and women, business owners, and he's worked very closely with state representatives such as Senator Ron Paul of Texas and Senator uh, Ron Wyden of Oregon, and as well as other House and Senate members uh, when it came to drafting the recent farm bills in 2012 and 2014. And this man has such a good heart and is genuinely committed to making this world a better place. They're massively um, you know, taking an active role in uh, playing a part when it comes to bringing back hemp to the people. So before we get started, if you have any challenges that you're working through with hemp that you need help with, or if there is a topic you'd like me to cover on HempAware Radio, just send us a message at support at hempaware.com, and we'll do our darndest to make you hempy. I mean happy. So now there's nothing to it but to do it. It's my honor and privilege to bring aboard the hemp train, Mr. Eric Steenstra. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today, Eric. Hey, Tyler. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for that uh, very generous introduction there. Oh, it's my pleasure. So I named the show Hemp Disclosure, and really they say this is the age of awakening or the age of enlightenment or you know the information age where we're going to have access to it all, so to speak. So that's really why this show was titled uh, you know, hemp disclosure, because hemp is now being disclosed, just uh, like a lot of the other topics uh, we're not going to get into today, but like non-terrestrials and the power of the mind and free energy and zero gravity and fun stuff like that. Hemp, I think, is part of one of those uh, categories of something that's been pushed under the rug for way too long, and it's now being revealed and disclosed. And so I want to thank you, Eric, for being such a massive part of that disclosure. Oh yeah, thanks, thanks, Tyler. I mean, there's a lot of great people that have worked on, uh, you know, on hemp over the years, and I've been, you know, privileged to work in this industry for, for a good part of that, and uh, had a, you know, sort of front row seat to a lot of the exciting things that have happened uh, as the industry has grown. We have. And so, when it comes to how you're introduced to hemp, I don't think I've ever heard the story of, you know, how you were led up to hemp and. Um, you know, how you were initially introduced to it. I'd love to hear that story. Yeah, sure. Um, I actually, um, I was working in the music industry and I um, uh, had uh, put together and helped put together an event for Normal. They were doing a 
an event in Washington at the at the uh, um, <clears throat> at the Sylvan Theater, which is at the base of the Washington Monument. So it was like a you know like a rally of a type, and uh, they had some bands playing, and I had helped put that together. In any case, uh, at that event, I met a number of people you know here in the Washington D.C. area that were working in you know cannabis reform, and one of those people was uh, Steve D'Angelo. And uh, so Steve and I, uh, he was a speaker that day, and we hit it off and uh, and uh, started, uh, you know, talking more and uh, became good friends. And uh, then he introduced me to Jack Hare and Jack's book. Actually, he st- first he shared Jack's book with me, The Emperor Wears No Clothes. And I think a lot of people that, you know, have gotten into this industry have been inspired by Jack, and I certainly was one of them uh, you know, first to uh, – you know, when I when I read the book, it was almost you know, too you know too much to you know it's like is this all really true and and you know and then right. we look through it and Jack's just got all the documentation right there, and so in any case, uh, you know uh, that's how Steve and I first uh, you know how I met and how I first sort of really got an interest in hemp and then, um, we continued to talk about hemp and the hemp industry and Steve thought there was some real you know potential to to do something. And uh, there were only a few companies that were sort of out there. And so we started doing some research into it and um, eventually decided that I uh, wanted to start, you know, to, to see if we could start a clothing company. And so, um, you know, went through the whole the whole process of uh, sourcing fabrics and trying to figure out next steps on that. And uh, there's, a, there's a longer story to that. But in any case, that's how I really got started with uh, with the hemp industry. Wow, which which really brings us to the next uh, question, which is, how were you able to become so successful with Ecolution? That was um, definitely one of the pioneer hemp companies of its time, and was um, very influential in my life. I, I, you know, from gosh, like 2006, seven, I started ordering Ecolution products and repping Ecolution, and and um, it just, it, it was such a, a quality and you guys really uh, produce, you know, quality products, and I am so thankful for that. But you you got pretty big, too. What do you attribute to you guys' success with Ecolution? Well, you know, we we saw a um, – <clears throat> we saw sort of a, a niche in the market. There were a few other companies out there, but uh, there was an opportunity, and we decided to focus in on um, – you know, at, at first we, we – the first – the only company that I could actually find in the U.S. at that time – that had hemp fabric was a company out in Oregon called the house of hemp. And we bought a little bit of fabric from them. It was made in China. And, um, we weren't super excited about that because this was just a few years after Tiananmen square and sort of, you know, the idea of working in a place where, you know, you had such a authoritarian government just didn't really appeal to, to either one of us. Mm-hmm. But, uh, in addition to that, they didn't, they didn't hadn't developed their business to the point where they had a consistent supply of of fabrics that we could sort of build a business on. So, um, mm. in any case, we decided to continue looking and had to go outside the U.S. because there's nobody else we could find that really had the fabrics. And so we started looking in Eastern Europe and found, found some sources in first in Hungary and um, and then later in Romania. And that was mm-hmm. quite an experience because you know sort of as a counter to China. In, in Hungary and Romania were both going through transformations from being, you know, communist countries to becoming democracies. And so it was an exciting mm-hmm. time to be working there. And uh, 
they, both of them had, uh, you know, had, had a history of, of growing hemp and, and processing it for textiles and, and for other things like cordage and whatnot. So, um, you know, it was a, it was a great opportunity, but I guess ultimately the way we grew the company was by focusing in on the goal of sort of making a hundred percent hemp, uh, you know, shirt, a line of clothing with, with, you know, one of the, one of the sort of like the, the foundation of the line was really our jeans. We had, 100% hemp jeans, and I think we were the, you know, we were really the first ones out on the market to do that. And we thought it was a mm-hmm. sort of a classic item, and that, you know, there was this history with Levi Strauss or having, you know, his original uh, de- denim jeans being made from canvas off of the uh, covered wagons, and we knew that was hemp. So uh, we figured it would be great to kind of go back to that, and I, I think that was, you know, we built based on that on that clothing line, and then built around that, added accessories and other products, but. You know, you'll, you, I don't know, you said you got into the industry on 2005. Well, in the, in the mid-'90s, there was, there was a wave of people that wanted to open hemp stores, too, and so we, you know, we grew with that, too. There were a lot of people that got into mm-hmm. the business, uh, you know, starting starting businesses. But ultimately, the, the I think the success for hemp is when hemp has kind of moved more into the mainstream where it's not just sold at a hemp store but also sold at stores that carry other products, whether they be eco-friendly or or even, you know, just, you know, uh, fashion. So from yeah. that standpoint, that's, that's how it, that's kind of how it developed for us. Yeah, totally. You've been in the industry 26 years, I believe. You've seen some pretty yeah. profound changes and, and, and kind of fluctuations in the market. And what is your overall perspective on where the hemp industry is going at this point? Yeah, you know, it's it's been an exciting time. I mean, for a long time, the hemp industry was relatively small. You know, there was a small group of companies. Uh, we were involved in in the you know in the founding of the HIA, and there were you know maybe around a hundred companies that you know a hundred people that showed up at the at the first meeting of that you know of that in 1994 in Arizona, and and so from the industry grew over time. Maybe you had a couple hundred companies and that kind of thing, but but it was it was still pretty small and everybody kind of knew everybody and now mm-hmm. uh since the farm bill i think it's really opened up uh you know just a lot for the industry uh now we've got farmers that are coming into this and you know i mean last year um there were almost 10,000 acres of hemp grown in the united states and there were over mm-hmm. 817 licenses that were issued uh most of those went to you know private private farmers so you know, those are people that are, you know, getting a chance, first time, you know, really in, uh, you know, to, to be able to, to work with the crop. And that's opened a lot, a lot of exciting possibilities. I think we're still still facing some real challenges as an industry, but um, <clears throat> but the farm bill just, just exponentially, uh, um, you know, really created a lot of interest in, and helped us to exponentially grow the industry by bringing a lot of new people in. Most certainly. Yeah, I agree on that. And with regard to these challenges, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges the hemp industry is working to overcome right now? And, and how are we doing that? What are our methods of trying to overcome these challenges? Yeah, I think there's a number of, uh, of challenges that are facing the industry right now. Um, one, uh, you know, I think probably the, the, the biggest single uh issue is a lack of genetics you know we um as a country you know we had we had this long history with the, with hemp as a crop and you know 
we actually, as part of the Hemp History Week project, we actually uncovered uh, the diaries of uh, the, the USDA researcher, uh, a guy named uh, Leister Dewey, who was um, researching hemp and other fiber crops for the USDA, uh, for, you know, from the early 1900s all the way up until about 1935. And he, he was, a, you know, sort of a key guy who created a lot of momentum for, for hemp. He developed varieties that were popular throughout the uh you know, I mean, most of the most of the farms in in Kentucky and other places were were utilizing his genetics and his seed that was developed. Uh, you know, right right here mm-hmm. in the Washington D.C. area, actually. And so um, that's you know that's all been lost. All those genetics uh, are now all that's left from that is wild feral, uh, you know, mm-hmm. hemp that's been growing just wild and you know in you know back of some farmer's uh, land for the last you know 60 years or whatever, 70 years. And mm-hmm. so, um, there, you know, there really that that that's a huge loss because the, the the loss of those genetics is 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 significant. And so, what most farmers have had to do here is, you know, is buy imported seed. There's a you know the handful of people that are trying to put together genetics, but you know, most farmers they want a pretty reliable situation. They want to be able to go and and go to a seed broker and buy seed that's certified that they know is going to have a good high germination rate and is going to have certain qualities, whether they're growing it for, you know, seed or for fiber. And so we don't have that yet, right? We, we're, you know, we're, we're having to import seed and deal with the DEA permitting process and all that, and that's just, that's just not sustainable. So I think number one is the genetics. And then um, the other issues really would be, um, you know, the lack of the fact that we you know we've got crops in the ground is exciting, but we're still doing this under pilot programs and research, and so the limitations that are placed on that um, still uh, will keep major investment away from the hemp industry. I mean, we've seen some investment, you know, some really cutting edge investors that are willing to take some risks on this, but until hemp is sort of a you know, regular commercial crop like any other crop, you know, a lot of those types of investments are going to sit on the sidelines. And then the last thing I think, you know, I mean, so so in order to fix that, we need, we need legislation, and, and but as part of that process too, I think we need some flexibility uh, with regards to, you know, THC levels and things like that. You know, the standard that was created uh, in you know Canada and Europe, that you know essentially we've sort of been stuck with is this three tenths of a percent THC and. You know, it was it was hard to argue to legislators that you know that we needed a higher level because those other countries you know were were, were you know had those standards. But we've realized as an industry that you know that it's critical. We've been pushing for you know um, for legislation that will allow states some flexibility, um, yeah. you know, so that so that we're not stuck with three tenths of a percent because you know we don't mm-hmm. want to see uh, you know somebody somebody's crop getting burned down if it's you know one tenth of a percent thc over we want people to have the flexibility to work with you know varieties that may go uh may go higher than you know three tenths it's an arbitrary standard it's not uh not based on science but just based on something that uh you know really that was that was uh somehow misinterpreted by the canadians i think this three tenths thing came from Mm -hmm. ernie small but i don't think it was ever his intention for that to be used as a as a crop standard. Right. And according to uh, Paul Stanford, he claims that if we are allowed to have higher THC levels, even if we're not specifically growing the plants for THC, that 
allowing of the TC levels could potentially allow for higher yields and more voluptuous seeds and, you know, just overall improvement of, of the entire you know, plant, um, which I'm not sure if he's validated that or how, how true that is, but I thought it was an interesting point. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think he's an agronomist or or an ex, you know, uh, really uh, yeah. a, an expert on on that. And I don't know if anybody has validated that, but certainly more flexibility will give us the ability to work with different varieties. And and farmers need more flexibility. We, you know, we've got, uh, you know, we've got 50 states that have all different climates and soils and you know altitudes and all these different things that. And mm-hmm. so we need flexibility for people to be able to grow this crop. And all, we also know that things that environmental stresses can change THC levels in, you know, small amounts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you've got a, a crop that grows at two-tenths of a percent THC, but it gets stressed due to drought or, or, or certain environmental conditions, it can produce higher, a little higher amount. Now, we're not talking yeah. about psychoactive amounts. We're just talking, you know, so it, well, that shouldn't be something that causes a crop to, uh, to be destroyed or, 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 you know, not allowed. So that, that's another thing we think is yeah, there's. Um, I've I've heard that, and this is actually from uh, a gentleman by the name of. Um, oh gosh, what is his name? He's all about cannabis and climate control. Um, but basically, he states that the resins in the cannabis plant are the the natural sunscreen of the plant. So it literally produces these resins in response to sunlight. And, you know, it, it almost acts as like this, the, the plant sunscreen. So the, possibly the more sun that it gets, the more resinous the plant, and therefore possibly the higher cannabinoid content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the resin does, I, I, you know, I think it does act as somewhat of a natural defense mechanism for the plant. So that's, you know, you certainly don't, I mean, you know, it's, 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 not, a, it's not a bad thing to have that. And, yeah. and again, flexibility, I think, would be a good thing, so. Yeah, that was Paul von Hartmann that said that. Um, so I oh, wanted okay. to, yeah, I wanted to ask you if you. So are there initiatives, or do you know of organizations that are still deliberately demonizing cannabis and and preventing the legality, or you know, preventing it moving forward? Or do you know? I mean, obviously, there's so much residual. Um, Phobia from all of the demonization and, and uh, propaganda for, for the last few 70 years. But would you say that there's still companies or organizations that are actively out there trying to stop this from going through and becoming legal or, or more legal? I mean, you know, there's always been corporate, you know, corporate interests advocate for their, uh, you know, their, um, their specific interests. And if they, you know, competition can be a factor. So, um, we haven't seen, you know, we haven't we haven't heard a lot about that uh, in my in my advocacy work, but occasionally it it has popped up, and 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 certainly for example, law enforcement, right, and the money that they get for crop eradication and things like that has been, I would say, you know, if you look at at hearings, right, we don't have um, we don't have other industries haven't shown up at hearings uh, opposing, you know, hemp legislation. It's mostly been, um, you know. Really, well, I, I take that back. So the the main law enforcement, and then and then of course you've got like uh, the prison industry or narcotics officers. That's sort of part of that same. Those mm-hmm. that's been primary opposition in a few states. 
We've had wow. some sort of, you know, opposition from, from marijuana growers, mostly in California and, and Oregon, but I think they, they were mostly not opposed to hemp. They just didn't want it grown too closely to their crops. And that addresses right. another issue that's just been this, like, misinformation out there. Law enforcement has often, you know, historically has said, oh, yeah, well, you're just going to have people growing marijuana in a hemp field to hide it, right? And uh, that's yeah. just, you know, the, the marijuana growers have helped us prove that that's completely false, you know, because they obviously oh, don't yeah. want come pollen anywhere near their, you know, their plants. So, uh, you know, that, that anyways, uh, you know, I think in those states we've, we've managed to come up with, uh, you know, ways to allow for, you know, counties and, and to, you know, to, to regulate by zoning or other, you know, other ordinances mm-hmm. to be able to say, you know, okay, we, we don't want hemp here. Uh, you yeah. know, you can do it somewhere else. So exactly. that's good. You know, we yeah. Yeah, the solution to that, like you said, really comes down to a local, a local level of communication and, and regulation, and so I, I totally mm-hmm. agree with that. So, what would you say is the most important thing that someone could do uh, that would help progress the hemp movement? I realize that answer might be different for a farmer or a business owner or a student or you know an educator or something, but maybe if you could kind of touch touch on, you know, what we could do, what a business owner could do, um, you know, that could help rapidly move this movement forward, like something they could do today to help? Well, you know, by being in the hemp industry, by creating commerce through hemp, you're already doing something that's really important, and you're demonstrating, you know, the usefulness, the utility, and the the economics of the plant, right? And, and you're by growing the industry, you know, we just – I just put out a um, – uh, a report uh, last week actually about the growth of the industry. We've been tracking it now for about eight years, and uh, each year, you know, we see we see double-digit growth. And last year was no different. In fact, it was one of the best years we've had since I've been watching. We had over 20, 25% growth uh, in the sales of hemp products. Um, you know, and and so you know, we're, we're that that's always a you know a great argument. I mean, most of these hemp products, unfortunately, are all imported from other countries. So, you know, we've been making the, the argument that you know we need to you know bring back the hemp industry domestically to drive down the you know the trade deficit. You know, instead of buying mm-hmm. products from China or, or other countries, we should be doing more production of you know hemp and, and, and manufacturing here and that certainly yeah. fits with you know with where you know where the where the current policy uh you know uh sort of yeah, i think pretty much across the board i think everybody would agree democrats republicans all agree that we'd like to see more more american-made products more manufacturing yeah. more farming and that kind of thing here so that's great that's a good argument but i guess the other thing other than just creating economic development through business is advocacy, you know, and pushing for changes in the law at your state and federal, and then of course at the federal level. We need to break through, um, like we had with the farm bill. We kind of need to take the next step, and that is to, you know, open it up so states can do full, fully commercial regulated, uh, you know, state regulated um, hemp farming. And so, you know, we've uh, both hemp. I've been continuing to work on that, and. Uh, you know, we've we've made a lot of progress, but we definitely need more voices in there. So the more people can, you know, if people are interested in taking action, they can always go. We have a tool to do that. But the the you know, if you're in the business, the best thing you could do really would be um, to go to um, actually meet with your senators and representatives at their office, either the, you know them or their staff. Uh, 
Um, and so we've actually got a, a you know a whole um, a bunch of resources for that for people that how teaching them how to set up a meeting, you know, and how to prepare for it, and then providing materials that they can use to educate those. Uh, those representatives and senators, and uh, and and you know, and, and get them ideally to co-sponsor the legislation that uh, mm-hmm. you know that's, that that would change this. So that uh, that's yeah. sort of my number one. Totally, and and I'm so thankful for the resources that you guys provide that I, you know, taken from over the years. And you know, if our listeners don't know, go to votehemp.com or hemphistoryweek.com right away and. Check out the resources page. There's all sorts of amazing posters and things that you can tweet on social media, letters that you can print out, even uh, emails that you can copy and basically send to your representatives. Right, Eric? Yeah, absolutely. There's a specifically a page relating to what I just mentioned about setting up meetings and the resources for that. It's votehemp.com slash toolkit.html. And if people can go to that, votehemp.com slash toolkit html and that will um has explanation about how to go about setting up a meeting how to you know find the contact information how to you know prepare for it all the materials you need to really educate them and, and like i said anybody in the hemp industry or who's, gr- who's growing hemp or wants to grow hemp uh that would be you know be great to have that you know if you can take some time out to, to actually do some advocacy it can make a huge difference absolutely now, my next question, I have a good feeling what your answer is going to be, but what aspect of the hemp plant or the hemp industry do you get most excited about and being involved with? Well, you know, I mean, I'm not a farmer. <laughs> I didn't get into this uh, to, 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 to grow it, to grow the crop, uh, you know, because that's not my, I, you know, I don't, I don't have, I don't own a farm and, and I don't have a background in that, but I love yeah. You know, I love really every aspect of. It. I guess the policy side has been sort of where I, you know, where I've, uh, you know, I've done a lot of my, you know, focus over the years. So it's exciting to see, you know, see grassroots efforts that can can be, you know, turned into some real, you know, real change that can be long term, you know, uh, valuable. So you know, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I want to see a world where, uh, you know. Uh, my kids and my grandkids are, are going to, you know, where hemp will be grown as a normal crop, and there's, you know, thousands of hemp products out there, and where hemp is grown on, you know, on, on you know, millions of acres across the U.S. and, and used fully to its, you know, to its, uh, you know, full potential. Absolutely, and you don't know this about me, Eric, but I live in Northern California, uh, in a, a small town called Dunsmere, which is just south of Mount Shasta. And that is, I'm literally about 20 minutes south of Weed, California. And I've already met with uh, the past mayor and the current mayor of Weed, and they're very open to hemp. Um, Most of the town of Weed is very old school, you know, they're old mentality. So when they hear the word hemp, they think immediately the devil's, you know, the devil's weed and, yeah. and that it's you know, horrible and this and that. So I've actually been to city council meetings. I've met with the mayor personally and brought him materials, you know, thanks to hemp and hemp history week. And um, they're very open. They're very excited about the idea of even using the old lumber mills um, in weed, California to transform them into hemp processing plants. And ironically, we live literally 20 minutes from one of William Randolph Hearst's 
castles. One of his old castles is up here in a place called McLeod. And so we're literally like in the center of where Hearst used to live. And so we're, you know, we're, we're uh, resurrecting yeah. right here where it was, you know, the center of kind of where it was demonized or, or plotted to be demonized. Yeah, that's that's exciting, Tyler. And uh, you know, good things. I think some good things are going to happen here soon in California. Uh, I don't. You know, I'm you know, assuming you you probably have a, a number of listeners who are based out there, and uh, so I could give you a quick update on that too, because I I think Jeez. that we've been fighting to try to get the you know got the the law changed, but it's been a it's been a slow process over a number of years. In any case, I think we're we finally reached a breakthrough here where um, we're going to see, uh, you know, some, some good things happen in the next year or so. So the Department of Agriculture, uh, well, first off, the, so there was legislation passed a couple of years ago. We've, after four tries, we finally got one of the governors, Governor Brown, signed a, a hemp bill into law. And that bill wasn't a great bill, but it was enough to allow for uh, for research, university research, and so there is a project at Cal Poly Pomona. A student there named mm-hmm. Tony Devera has been working on this. It's been a slow, sort of frustrating process for him, just getting the DEA licenses and all that. He started mm-hmm. on this, you know, before uh, before you know, before the um, Prop, Prop 64 passed. So in any case, that was right. the next step. That uh, you know, hemp language was included in the Proposition 64. It's going to open up much more of a, a you know, I believe, a commercial market there in, in California, where mm-hmm. we'll see, you know, the Department of Ag allow private farmers to grow the crop. So in any case, they've um, they've already put out a call for, um, for, you know, to get an advisory board, and they should be yep. convening that board fairly soon, and uh, and and then start the process of developing regulations for California hemp farming, and so. That's uh, mm-hmm. you know that's that's an exciting step forward for California, and I'm hoping that by you know 2018 we'll have regulations in place for farmers to grow the crop there. Exactly. Yes, that is my prayer as well. So th- thank you for that update. And w- would you say there's any other really fresh information that not many people know about cannabis and hemp that you could share with us, either on a local or global? Level? Well, you know, I could. I could you know, I mentioned a little bit earlier about the crop, you know, crop report. So we, you know, we did a report on all the all the states, and so there, last year there were 15 states that had um, hemp cultivation, and out of those, there were 9,649 acres of hemp that was actually planted. Much more of that was licensed, but not everybody could get the seed, or um, you know, wasn't wasn't able to put it all together. So, um, but. You know, we had 30 universities that grew hemp last year, and there's more coming online, and, and you know, it's 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 incredible. And we're talking about big mainstream ag uh, universities, places like Purdue, uh, University of Kentucky, Cornell, uh, North Dakota State University, a lot, a lot of great, you know, great schools that are looking at this. And, and that's another thing that we haven't had, is, you know, for decades, uh, you know, uh, most of the last, you know, the second half of the last uh you know, century really. We had no, no research happening on hemp here in the United States, and so there's a lot of room. You know, if lots changed, yeah. technologies improved, and and uh, hemp can play a huge role in the modern economy. I mean, they're already starting to do that. You know, seeing it in yeah. composites and automobiles, and they've developed a process uh, to uh, to turn hemp fiber into a, a graphene-like material to replace graphene, actually, at dramatically lower cost, and, and can be used on oh, yeah. superconductors and 
you know, you're built where people are building houses out of it. So it's not yep. just, uh, you know, it's not just rope anymore. That's a lot of people, you know, historically thought of hemp as sort of, you know, rope, but you know, it's just mm-hmm. so much more potential. Exactly. <clears throat> wow. Well, I just have two more questions. and I really appreciate your time. Where could our listeners go and get a copy of that report you just produced or, or is, can they order it from you or vote hemp or how does that work? Yeah, so that page I mentioned earlier that has the resources for the uh, meetings, it's uh, votehemp.com slash toolkit.html. We have a download of that. It's a one-page report that shows which states grew it, how many acres were grown in each, and talks about the statistics of how many universities and all that. So that report is right there. It's a PDF that anybody can download and print out or share. So, um, yeah, votehemp.com slash toolkit.html. Perfect. Thank you for that. So is there a possibility hemp could get into the wrong hands? And if so, what what could happen and and basically what we can what can we do to prevent it from, you know, getting into the hands of big pharma or, you know, these major agricultural um seed companies like Monsanto and Bayer um Bayer. What like do you think that there's a possibility it could get into the wrong hands and then get totally, you know, genetically modified and just make it this horrible, you know, thing? Do you think there's a potential for that? And if so, how can we prevent it? I mean, there's there's always the potential, you know, for for genetic modification. Um, you know, the you know, there's I mean, breeding is a, is a form of genetic modification. So there's, I think there, it's important to make distinctions between sort of traditional yeah. breeding methods, and you know, uh, certainly uh, be opposed to anything where you're sticking genes from some other other uh, you know crop or or animal or whatever into hemp. That's that doesn't make any yeah. sense. And I, uh, you know, I've heard also about efforts to try to do things like, you know, breed out the THC, which I think is, 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 you know, is a dumb idea and mm-hmm. is, is not necessary. But, um, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm more concerned, at least in the short term about, <clears throat> you know, about the potential for, um, you mentioned big pharma. Well, you know, one of the things that one of the exciting sectors for hemp is, uh, is CBD and some of the other cannabinoids. So, some of your mm-hmm. listeners may know about this, others may not. I'll just give a quick background. But, you know, hemp, uh, THC or tetrahydrocannabinol is the is the cannabinoid or substance within you know uh, hemp and marijuana that causes uh, euphoric feeling and and essentially gets people high. Well, hemp has such a low amount of that THC, typically uh, less than 1%, uh, and and most of the the crops are being grown here, it's less than three-tenths of 1%. So the... you know that's that's really low amount, but it has a higher amount. Typically, hemp varieties contain uh, a ratio greater than one of CBD to THC, and CBD is another cannabinoid, or that's also known as canna- uh, cannabidiol, and that is uh, not um, does not have the same uh, effects as as THC in terms of you know like a high doesn't produce that a high, but um, it. It has some incredibly uh, interesting therapeutic and health benefits, and so mm-hmm. um, that's an area that uh, it's really grown in the hemp industry. A lot of companies have have been experimenting with with uh, you know uh, extracting uh, uh, cannabinoids, including CBD and 
uh, other cannabinoids not, that are not other than THC and, and selling those products as dietary supplements. So really they're just extracting, it's, uh, extracting the, the, uh, you know, the, the hemp from the hemp flowers. And yeah. this is an area where, um, you know, we've seen some companies that pharma companies that are trying to come in and like patent and exclusively sell right. this. And so to me, that's, that's a bad, that would be a bad development. The idea that, mm-hmm. um, uh, a company and, and say we're the only ones allowed to to sell CBD only under right. FDA uh, mm-hmm. life you know uh, you know approval Regulation or whatever approval. that would be a horrible development. We've got thousands and thousands of people that are you know are now f- finding CBD to have dramatic therapeutic benefits and health benefits, <laughs> and they're accessing that through hemp products. And to be able to get it at their regular store without a you know doctor's prescription, and this is like non-toxic, completely non-toxic, even to very high doses, psychoactive, mm-hmm. and really there's just no no reason that uh, that that you know that those uh, those products should be in any way restricted. So certainly that's that's the thing I'm most concerned about at the moment is making sure that that um, that laws don't don't uh, aren't put in place to somehow schedule. Uh, cannabidiol and other uh, non-psychoactive cannabinoids or restrict them only to being FDA medicine. Right. Wow. Well, thank you for that. I have one last question for you, and I really, once again, appreciate your insight, your wisdom, and your commitment to this industry. It's it's such a, a good feeling to be a part of a community that is, you know, committed to something that's so important and, and crucial for humanity. Um, but what would you recommend to someone who's just starting a hemp company or even somebody that has a successful hemp company that they, what they could do to take their hemp business to the next level. It's some insight you could provide. Yeah. You know, I, I think that the, um, you know, the, the simplest advice on something like that would be, you know, really to, to get involved in the, in the industry and to network with others and uh, become part of the community and do as much research as you can and try to really see where you can push the, you know, push the envelope and come up with something new. I mean, there's lots of, uh, you know, uh, you know, existing products out there. Try to find, do, you know, add some value, find something new mm-hmm. that isn't already being done or that you can do in a way that's, you know, that's an improvement. I'd say that's, that's probably my number one suggestion, but you could also get involved through, Trade associations. I mentioned the Hemp Industries Association is a great association, uh, but you know which I've been a part of for for a long time, and, and uh, I think that would be a great place to you know for people to you know, if they want to get involved. Right on. Well, thank you so much. Is there any last thoughts you want to share with our our listeners? No, I, Tyler. Thanks for your you know for your personal commitment to the industry and your time here, and thanks for inviting me on today. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here, and uh, and uh, you know, um, uh, you know keep keep on doing the good work. You know, this is important, uh, so important the education work, and so having this show is great to help get the word out to people and educate people about uh, you know uh, hemp and all all of its potential. Exactly. Right on. Well, it's, it's uh, an honor and a privilege. I'm looking forward to seeing you in the field later. Uh, all right, Eric, thanks so much. This is your hemp entrepreneurial host, Tyler Hemp with Hempaware Radio. Check us out at hempaware.com. 
or you can visit uh, the past archived hemp episodes on the iTunes podcast library. Just type in the word hemp aware, all one word, and you'll see all those shows. We've got amazing experts like Eric Steenstra that we've uh, had on this show. Continue your education in hemp and help uh, spread the word about this plant and what it's in consciousness and how we live our lives, how we do business. Thanks again, Eric. I really appreciate your presence and uh, look forward to seeing you in a hemp field later this year. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks so much. Peace out, everyone. everyone.